0: Good evening, First Baptist Church of Greg Gables. I hope you're having a wonderful week. Yes, uh, your eyes do not deceive you. We are back in the sanctuary uh, for the time being. Um, and so we are going to continue this evening going through our sermon series entitled Resurrection Hope from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I have the joy of speaking on verses 20 through 22 this evening. I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed this series so far, and as always, am so thankful for all the gifted men of God we have here uh, at Great Gables. Uh, If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. If you're like uh, me, your Bible just falls open to this chapter uh, right about now, and so we're going to read verses 20 through 22, and then we'll pray and look at some some interesting truths this evening, some things we have to define and, and, and bear with me. Uh, it may be one where you have to pause the video and go get a cup of coffee and then rejoin us, but hopefully uh, the Lord will help make all this clear to us. First Corinthians 15, starting in verse 20, reading through verse 22, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Let's go to the Lord and pray together. Gracious Father, we are in awe of your love for us in Christ. Lord, we do adore you and we thank you. We thank you for your word and we confess together that your word Lord, is infallible, that it is authoritative over uh, this community, and and we uh, believe it. And Father, we pray for the grace to submit to your word, to hear your word, that uh, Lord, when our sin is brought to light by your word, that we might confess it and run to the only place where we receive grace and forgiveness in the arms and presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray as this word is taught that you would Um, help clarify it, that you'd send your spirit um, to help us um, see what you would have us to see. Lord, let nothing be added to your word or taken away from your word. And we pray this truth would indeed be impressed upon us in our hearts, that your people might grow into the image of Christ, to the image of your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. But the more I grow in my understanding and knowledge of a Christian worldview and and Christ and this life and how we view the world, the more I become the most annoying person to watch a movie with. Uh, I cannot watch movies anymore without thinking about how the truths in the movies reflect the truths of Scripture or how often and more often they deny the truths of Scripture And so, while many of you, probably my wife included, just want to turn their brain off and watch something and be entertained, uh, I can't do that anymore. I love to think of worldview questions and how I can apply this particular story. Uh, to the overall story of life about uh, the gospel and and what I'm seeing. So usually the tools that I use when I'm watching movies and even reading my children's stories at night are to ask three questions about what I'm watching or what I'm reading. And those questions uh, are thought about in the terms of the big picture of all things. The big picture of creation, redemption, and uh, the fall, The fall and redemption. In other words, I ask these questions. I ask, where do we come from? What is this film or this story portraying that mankind's purpose is and why we're created? What's the beginning? What's our origin? And then I go often to the problem because in every worldview and in every display of a worldview, there is a problem. What's going on? Uh, What is the problem? And then finally, what is the solution? And so i Examine these things with three big questions. Where we came from, the fall, what went wrong, then redemption, what's the solution to the problem? For instance, uh, my daughter and I have been watching and and looking at uh, Charlotte's Web based on E.B. White's children's novel and in, in that particular story, right, we know uh, that the animals are created and they exist to uh, become food or to live in man's world and uh, are subjection under man and that story adapts that reality very well with one probably distinct difference and that they give the animals souls they give them purpose and attitudes and and so on so forth and the problem in Charlotte's Web is that death exists Wilbur exists to uh, become bacon, uh, essentially. And so that's a big issue that he's continually facing, even from his childhood being a runt and being cared for by Fern, the little girl, and, and the barn. And then the solution is Charlotte comes and shows him that although death is inevitable, uh, there is still value in human life when it comes to friendship and good deeds and morality in the age of innocence and so that's a story that resonates with us but I like to think about that story in light of the worldview that it's betraying, and that's why that's one of my favorites. Well tonight in our text the point of this is that Paul actually speaks to two of these major categories of worldview. He speaks directly to what has gone wrong and what is the solution and in order to fully understand we'll also have to touch on where we come from. So in a matter of three verses, as we unpack this, we are going to be reminded of God's big story of the Christian worldview and how it's summarized really in the lives of two people, in the life of Adam and the life of Christ. So the big idea, and I'll confess to you, I rewrote this big idea approximately 15 times, including in my office the morning of this taping. So it certainly can be stated differently, but I have the big idea as this. Being in Adam is the problem, being in Christ is the solution. Uh, being in Adam is the problem, being in Christ is the solution. So let's dive right into the text together, shall we? Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15 says this, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are Asleep. Well, remember the context. Paul is now responding to that hypothetical situation that was presented to us in verses 12 through 19 through Brother Justin's sermon last week. And he's doing that by stating emphatically that Christ has indeed risen from the dead. So even, yes, we did look last week that he, hypoth- what if he hypothetically did not raise from the dead? But Paul has unpacked that and now he's responding immediately in the text but now here's the truth, here's the reality, Christ has raised from the dead. These are the facts of the gospel that were proclaimed by the Apostle Paul and believed by the Corinthian church, as we saw over the last several weeks through verses 1-11. through 11. The former argument in verses 12-19 through 19 was a hypothetical situation. It is not the reality, that's Paul's point. The reality is that Christ has raised from the dead. And then he goes on in this verse, verse 20, to state... The first fruits of those who are asleep. Said another way, and really the first point of our sermon uh, this evening, is Christ is the first fruits of a much greater harvest. Christ is the first fruit of a much greater harvest. So that term first fruits kind of sticks out to us and it's interesting. We need to define it and have an understanding of what does it mean to be first fruits. Well, um, it's obviously part of a much greater harvest, yes. But in ancient Israel specifically, it was part of the harvest that was brought to the Lord. It was set apart from the harvest to symbolize that all of the harvest belong to the Lord our God. It also speaks to the nature and quality of the rest of the harvest. So think of it in these terms, right? If you get an apple from an apple tree, the first couple of apples you taste will let you know about how the rest of the apples are going to be that season. If it's an awful sour apple, then the rest of the apples are most likely not going to be good quality either. I know that's true of a blackberry bush. If you take some blackberries from a blackberry bush and they're sour, they smell, they're nasty, and uh, they're, they're small, then the rest of the berries will likely be the same. Well, What Paul is saying is that Christ, as our first fruit, he speaks to the nature and quality of the rest of the harvest. Christ speaks to the quality and the nature of the rest of the harvest. Uh, So we know that we are to be conformed to the image of likeness in Christ. It means we are to be like Jesus. Even so, uh, Paul's primary emphasis here is on the fact that, that since the first fruits have been harvested, there is a harvest and it will come. There is an inevitability of a great harvest here. So the first fruit, said another way, guarantees the rest of the harvest. That actually brings us to another truth that's implied in this verse. That is the certainty of our resurrection. The certainty of the rest of the harvest lies in our unity with Christ. The, the certainty of the rest of the harvest, the fact that there is a harvest coming, it lies in our it, the certainty of that lies in our unity with Christ. ...with Jesus Christ. It's based on or it's grounded in the unity we have with Christ. See, catch this. We were raised with Christ. Uh, The reality is when Christ was raised from the dead... ...we, his church, were raised with him. All who belong to Jesus Christ have been raised with Jesus Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2... Uh, in your Bibles. This is a text we're pretty familiar with. Uh, I'll give you a moment to turn there if you you need one. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 6. This is as well as all of your notes are in your your guide that go along with us online. Uh, Verses 4 through 6 are verses we're familiar with and here's what they say. Uh, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive, get this, together with Christ, by grace you've been saved. Now listen to verse 6. And raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? Both of those verbs, by the way, raised and seated, are in the, the past tense. These are things that have taken place. We have been raised with Christ, and we have been seated with Christ. So we are, in one sense, already raised with Christ, for we've been united to Christ. But what does that all mean? What does this exactly mean for us? It speaks to the fact that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. There is unity there. Paul emphasized this point throughout 1 Corinthians in several different places. He talks about how we belong to Christ. Our members make up his body. We are the temple of his spirit. So he's not only in us, but we are actually in Christ by his spirit as well. I, I get it. This is hard to understand, but friends, it's imperative that we remember that truth and we hold on to that truth. Even now, uh, those who belong to Jesus Christ by grace through faith are so united to the Lord Jesus Christ that we are already experiencing an inbreaking of the age to come in this now present age. We experience future realities even now. We experience the power to come, the resurrection of the dead, even in our present lives. We are united to Christ and the harvest and our future is inextricably linked with Christ presently now. That's the point. And, friends, if this is the reality that we're united to Christ in this way, that we get to experience the age to come even now, this should bring us so much comfort and confidence. And I pray it does. Finally, one last thing from verse 20 here, specifically the first fruits of those who are asleep. We also see that if if Christ is the first fruits of a greater harvest, then, in one sense, the harvest has already begun. Said another way, we're living in the last days. Now, I don't mean to say that in the way most people say that with the end is coming soon, even though the end could be coming soon. But I want to focus your attention on no man knows the day or the hour when the end is coming. Uh, But we are living in the last days in in a biblical reality. And we need to understand this because this needs to be part of our reality to which Scripture speaks and we believe. Uh, The idea of the harvest was always, always linked to the end times in most uh, cases in the New Testament. Uh, There are many examples I could use, but the first one that comes to mind is Jesus' third discourse uh, recorded by him in the book of Matthew where he is explaining what the kingdom looks like using parables. Parables. And in Matthew 13, he tells the parable of the wheat and the weeds, or the wheat and the tares. And so a farmer sows a field and he sows wheat, but his workers come and they they say, did you not use good seed? What's going on? Your, your, Your field's full of weeds here. And he says, an enemy has done this. And so they want to tear up the weeds. And the farmer says, no, leave the tares and the wheat. Then at the harvest day, they'll both be pulled up and separated the weeds into the fire and the wheat into the storehouse. Well, Jesus actually explains in Matthew 13, 39, that the harvest stands for, in that parable, the harvest stands for the end of the age. So here, when Paul talks about the harvest, the obvious and necessary implication is we're talking about the end of the age. So therefore, since Jesus has been raised and he's the first fruit of the harvest, the end of the age has at least in one sense Come upon us. It's arrived. We are in the last days. And so Christ is the first fruit that is to come. But even now, the reality of the age to come is at work in those who belong to Christ. So Paul is now going to explain in these last two verses, I'll read them both together. He's going to explain how this is the case. He's going to explain how it's the case um, that the reality of the age to come is really at work in those who belong to Christ. Let's read both uh, verses 21 and 22 together. It says this, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. So also in Christ, all will be made alive. Okay, so if our first point was that Christ is the first fruits of a much greater harvest, our second point that we see here is that Christ is also the tree. Uh, Christ is also the tree. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to explain it to you soon, but I really want to unpack these two verses uh, for what they are. This Uh, In these two verses, we find a story of two Adams. It's really a story that takes an entire story and summarizes it into two verses. Uh, We should also note very specifically about verse 21 that it begins with the word for, which is in the Greek the word gar. It's used to express Cause or, uh, or inference. And so it's explaining what had just come before. And so in verse 20, we say, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For, because, is what Paul is saying here, verse 21, since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of uh, the dead. In verse 21, we've got the problem and the solution death has come. Through Adam came death. Through Adam came death. Paul is going to go on to later explain that uh, the power of death is sin. That sin really is the root of the problem. That sin brings in death. But here it is that that man has brought in death. And the solution through man has come the resurrection of the dead. To understand this first, uh, we have to start at the very beginning. We can't just start with the problem. We have to understand that our origin is the creation of of a benevolent God, that we were created by a good God. His creation uh, started, uh, he created us, and he created all that we see. But not only that, he created it good. We read that in Genesis chapter 1. He created man and woman to rule over it in his creation, in his image and in his likeness. He created them. He created man first in a covenantal relationship. Uh, The man was called Adam, and he was to trust God and to obey God. He was the representative of every person who would ever live after him. All people would share in his nature and would be made in his likeness. But what happened? We know Adam transgressed the only uh, prohibition given to him. He was not to eat to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The test was to trust and obey God and he failed it. That's the short version of the story. God creates all things. He creates them good. He creates Adam as the covenantal representative, and Adam fails the test given to him to obey and trust God. Adam's uh, law-breaking was the sin that caused his death. We see that in Genesis 3. Spiritual death takes place immediately. Before, God would walk in the coolness of the garden, and Adam would enjoy fellowship with God in his presence, and now Adam hides from God. God confronts Adam, and remember his first response, it's not confession, but it's blame shifting. It's the woman you gave me, God. It's my wife's fault, and really it's God's fault, he says. But spiritual death was not the only consequence that Adam faced. We know he also faced physical death. Physical death entered God's creation through Adam's rebellion, Adam began dying physically immediately. And though he lived for a long time after his unfaithful act of treason, he began to degenerate immediately following. Death became the inevitable end for all of those born from Adam. And so we understand now, Paul says that through man, through Adam came death. He's speaking very specifically of Adam. He will go on to say, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. right? The death was ushered into God's creation through an unfaithfulness of a man, namely Adam. Likewise, the resurrection of the dead would also come through the faithfulness of a man. Now, when we talk about the resurrection of the dead here in verse 21, this is not just a general resurrection of the dead. This resurrection of the dead is the end When the new heavens and the new creation are made. When there is an end to all death and sin. When all things are set right. That's the resurrection of the dead that's brought in by this man. It's life. It's eternal life. That is the end of sin and death and the beginning of eternal life in our glorified bodies. That's the focus here. I want you to read verse 21 with me one more time. For since by a man came death... By a man also came the resurrection of the dead. There's a huge implication we have to see here. And that is it is necessary for the resurrection of the dead to come through a man. It is necessary, it has to be, that the resurrection of the dead would come through a man. Man had to propitiate God's wrath. Man had to atone for sin. Man was responsible for breaking covenant with God, and man had to become a faithful covenant partner. God the Son could not just come down and take care of things. This is important. Man had to. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead had to come through a man also. Yet, on the other side of that, only God could pay a price this large. Only God could pay a price this large. Therefore, only the God-man, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, could accomplish the resurrection of the dead. From Adam onward, the race was waiting for a faithful covenant partner who would obey the whole law of God and rescue God's people from their enemies, namely sin and death. So Paul states in verse 21 that a man... Has done this. That's what he says. He says, by a man has also has come also the resurrection of the dead. And we know who that man is. It's the God man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is the one who has come and who has purchased for us resurrection from the dead. He was born of of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. He was completely man, yet he did not come from the flesh of Adam in the sense of receiving his nature. He was not born spiritually dead as the rest of us are. He did not have a corrupted nature bent towards sin and rebellion. He could choose, as could the first Adam, to obey or to disobey God. He could choose, as could the first Adam, to keep the covenant of God or break the covenant. And keeping the covenant is exactly what he did. Jesus lived a perfect life. He kept the whole law of God, the whole law of the covenant, even to death. It was the will of God the Father that sent him to the cross to die for the sins of his people. And Jesus died willingly. He went willingly. Through this man, Jesus Christ, came the resurrection From the dead, Jesus accomplished it. Okay, but the next verse, we have another four. In verse 22, it starts again with another four. Uh, And so we have to examine this. Paul goes on to explain how this exactly works. How did Jesus Christ come and purchase resurrection from the dead? So death came through a man. We saw that in the life of Adam. The resurrection of the dead comes from another man. So we ask, how did this happen exactly? Well, let's read verse 22 together. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Friends, in this verse, Paul explains how death was brought to all through a man and the resurrection to some by another man. Paul's explanation of how death and resurrection of the dead were brought in by a man is simply that in Christ and in Adam, we have two covenant representatives. Therefore, all people, everyone, every human that has ever existed, they are either in Christ or in Adam. All people are either in Christ or in Adam. Now, a necessary implication of this is that we must understand that Every person ever is in a covenant relationship with God. There is no real neutral ground here. There is no third option. God voluntarily determined to establish a relationship with Adam and with all people through Adam. All people are in a covenant relationship with God. And they are bound by that covenant to obey and worship their creator. Whether it's your neighbor and and no less your children, they are all obligated to obey and worship God. This is an obligation that falls on the head of every single person. Those who reject God are no less obligated to obey him and worship him. But this covenant made at creation. It was established with Adam specifically on behalf of all people. Adam was our covenant head and our representative. And in a very real sense, what that means is Adam's actions are our actions. His actions are our actions. It's like a a king of a kingdom, right? As the king goes, so goes the kingdom. The king makes war and the kingdom is plunged into conflict. If the king makes peace, the kingdom enjoys tranquility. Adam is a covenantal head in our representative. He represents all people who were ever born of men, and in the garden, his disobedience plunged us into a war with God. Really, the picture of a king is very appropriate, but what the king actually did is he handed over his kingdom to Satan. Uh, When Adam bowed the knee to Satan, he handed the kingdom and everyone who would ever be part of that kingdom, all of us included, over to Satan. And now all people are born with Adam as their covenant representative. You are born in Adam. You are born an enemy of God under God's wrath. Now we all share, because of that, we all share in Adam's guilt We all experience the consequences of sin that he experienced. So, in summary, Adam is our covenant representative. For those who are in Adam, his actions are our actions. His penalty is our penalty. Adam's transgression is your transgression. His test was our test. In Adam, we prove unfaithful. Our own rebellion and sin, even today, testifies against us in this regard. But praise God, the story doesn't end there, right? That's the focus on the problem is that our covenantal head was Adam. Here is the solution. God has made a new covenant with a new covenant head. That's the point of verse 22. There is a new covenant head, the true and better head, the true and better covenant representative, Christ Jesus. He is one who has made peace with God. All who have him as their covenant representative enjoy reconciliation with God. They enjoy freedom uh, from guilt to sin, freedom from the power of sin. See, though our physical birth places us in Adam with him as our covenant representative, the new birth by the Spirit of God places us in Christ. And so the gospel proclamation and the work of the Holy Spirit bring about a people out of Adam and place those people in Christ. He becomes our covenant representative. Friends, that means that Christ's obedience becomes our obedience. Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness. Christ's death was our death, and his resurrection secures our resurrection. We have died with Christ, and we've been raised with Christ. In Christ, all shall be made alive. Now, the very next verse will say... How only those who really belong to Christ are made alive. But to summarize what we've examined so far, these two, these three very rich verses are are this: that there are two covenants with two covenantal heads. That's the point of verse twenty-two. Every person that's ever lived is either with Adam or in Christ. And friends, if Adam is your covenant head, you are spiritually dead and you are at war with God. You are part of a covenant of creation that obligates you to obey God perfectly and worship him only. But you do not do this. And that's the problem. You obey your passions. You want what you want and you want it now. You worship created things. You love things More than you love God, eternal death will be the inevitable consequence for your rejection of God and refusal to obey and worship him as he deserves. But if you are in Christ, Christ is your covenant head. You've been buried with Christ in his death and raised with Christ in his life. You've been reconciled to God and now enjoy peace with God. Christ has kept the whole law for us, and he has paid the penalty due for our sins. We are part of a new covenant community, and this new covenant has been established by Christ, and it obligates us to serve Christ and to trust Christ, which his spirit and grace empower us to do. And so this is the story of two Adams. Uh, The first Adam, who was a type of the true and better Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was to come. And this is the reason why I said in point number two that this is really about Jesus being the first fruits and being the tree. It's explicitly there in the text that Jesus is the first fruit in verse 20. He is the, part, the first part of a great harvest. But then this text also goes on to explain how Jesus is actually the tree, meaning he's the source of the rest of the harvest. Again, if we can use the apple tree analogy, Jesus is indeed the first and best apple that comes from the tree, but he's more than that. He's the tree that gives life to the rest of the fruit. Think of that analogy used over and over again from John 15, that he is the vine, we are the branches. He is the cultivated olive tree, whereas we used to be part of the wild olive shoot, Romans 14, we have been grafted into the olive tree. He's the firstfruits because he's the tree that bears a harvest unto God. And it's fair really to summarize it like this. There are two trees, Adam and Christ, and everyone is connected to these two trees. If you're a branch of the tree of Adam, you will eventually be cut down with the rest of the tree and burn. If you are a branch on the tree of Christ, then you will bear fruit for all eternity in the glorious presence of our God. So I will close simply with this. The story of two Adams. Every human that has ever existed is either in Adam or in Christ, the true and better Adam. If you are a branch in the tree that is Christ, know that you are part of a new and better covenant, and obviously praise and gratitude, comfort and confidence flow from this truth. You have a new and better representative, you are the harvest. The new humanity with all the blessings and all the privileges that come with being at peace with God and having access to his grace are yours. And friends, this transcends our daily experience. This is our reality. So let's live in that future reality. Let us believe it to the point where we live our future even now. But on the other hand, friends, if you are a branch in the tree of Adam I implore you to to cry out to God and ask him to put you in Christ. Ask him to make Christ your covenant representative. Ask him to bring you into that new covenant community. Uh, The Lord has promised that all who call out the Lord will be saved. And so it's the story of two Adams. An Adam that brought in death and the true and better Adam who has brought life and life abundant to his people the question is who is your tree who is your covenant representative who are you in Christ or Adam oh my heart prays that you are in Christ and if you know that you're in Adam friends it's simple call out and ask the Lord to plant you in the tree of Christ that Christ would become your covenant representative and you would be obligated to serve and love and trust him with the confidence that comes with that. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the story. We thank you that it is indeed reality, that this is a story that all stories really fit into, that this is an overarching story. It's a it's a mega story that helps to explain and make sense of every other story. Help us to remember that that this redefines who we are, that if we're in Christ, we're no longer... Slaves to sin, Father, we're no longer under the the power of sin, but instead we have Christ as our covenant head already raised and we're already seated with him. Help us to live in that reality. Help us to believe that. Help us to become the new covenant community that lives out and expresses that love displayed on the cross in our daily lives together. I want to pray for anyone who may not know you hearing this, I pray that Each one would recognize that they were born in Adam. Lord, that Adam's guilt is their guilt and their guilt is significant. Lord, they have not obeyed you. They in the covenant with Adam have failed to honor and failed to worship you. Their sins against others and against you are enough to separate them from you forever and ever for all of eternity in hell. Father, please have mercy on them. Give them life, give them faith and repentance. Regenerate their hearts that they cry out to you and be transferred from the kingdom of darkness, the covenant of Adam to the new covenant of your son, the Lord Jesus. That's our prayer, Father. Only you can do this. We know that. Only you can do this. We pray it expectingly, knowing that you long to answer this prayer. That's how great your character is, Father. You are a good and benevolent God. You are gracious in all your ways, and we call on you for your mercy, for your grace that we receive in Christ by the power of your spirit. And we pray every bit of this in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. Friends, if you don't know Christ, please reach out to us, let us know. So we can be praying for you. We'd love an opportunity to share the gospel with you. We're praying for you. We look forward to hope to see you Sunday. If not, we'll continue to worship together uh, through our online services. We love you. Um, God bless. Have a wonderful day.